Good morning, and welcome. Special thank you to Nancy Huber for that beautiful prelude. Those are also her very own photographs throughout. She believes this is our Father's world. Amen. Well, we are here to together praise the name of Jesus who reigns above all. He is the God of our salvation, a God of truth, a God of grace. He dwells with us. Praise God. As we worship today, may we exalt him in voice, may we exalt him in heart, and may we see more clearly as we worship how he is God over all. Let us stand together and begin by reading responsively from Psalm 118. Let's stand. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Endures forever. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Open to me the gates of righteousness. That I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his, for his steadfast love endures forever.
to be filled with your glory. The world already is filled with your glory, but your name is not yet known to all people, and we long for your kingdom to come into each heart. Lord, we confess that our hearts are distracted, that our hearts don't primarily love you and love others, that we don't long for your name to be known as much as your great name deserves. Lord, we confess the state of our hearts that the thorns of the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things get in the way of our love for you. 
Jesus, you alone offer forgiveness for us through the cross. And may we so treasure your free gift of salvation that our heart's desire is to make your name known. May we daily and hourly meditate on your gift of no condemnation so that your light indeed would shine through us. Help us to press into the reason for our hope. By your Holy Spirit alone, would you use us to put the world's focus on Jesus Christ alone? It's in his gracious and beautiful name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way, the sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you
This is Psalm 73, 23 through 26 and verse 28. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into your glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. beautiful morning. It has been worshiping together as God's people and lifting up the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My name is Scott Landon. I'm your executive pastor of administration, and I've had the privilege of serving you for the past 19 years. Many of you know this, but I just want to remind us that the mission of Wheaton Bible Church is that more and more people would love God grow together and reach the world. That drives everything we do, including how we give and how we steward our resources. Our leadership continues to marvel at what we experienced last month through the Ukraine special offering. And I want to thank you for that again. And just think of the impact that's going to have on so many lives in that area of the world. 
If Wheaton Bible Church is your church home, I want to encourage you to continue that momentum in your regular giving to the church. We saw with that special offering how gifts of all sizes from many people make a significant impact. I realize the call to this may not be as exciting as a two and a half day special offering, but keep in mind that 30% of our giving goes towards global and local missions. And another 30% goes towards other ministries where we are seeking to make disciples, impacting the lives of men, women, and children, and bring them closer to Jesus Christ. We're encouraged that the number of people giving and the number of people who have set up recurring gifts is increasing. Yet at the same time, I want you to be aware that at the halfway point of the year, we as a church family are 550,000 or 12% behind our target through the first half of the year. We continue to keep our expenses below budget, but it's not been enough to offset the shortfall in giving. So as we worship together, let's be reminded of this exhortation from Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 10. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. Church family, thank you for your financial support of the church. The Lord honors a generous heart that gives freely and continues to grow and excel in their trust of him as we serve the church with our time and treasures. As a reminder, you can give online at wheatonbible.org give. You can drop your gift off in one of the boxes as you exit the worship center, or you can mail your gift to the church. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, the last few years have certainly been filled with much sickness, with anxiety, with fear, with division. And as we gather this morning, Lord, we mourn with the community of Highland Park. Our hearts are with them as we pray for the victims and their loved ones. Lord, help us to learn to abide in your love and extend it to our neighbors. Help us to remember that you are in every moment, even if it does not make sense to us. Lord, we pray for the millions of Ukrainians whose peaceful lives were shattered and displaced with destruction, devastation, and death. Help us to be faithful in prayer for them. We ask that you strengthen your servants scattered around the world to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Lord, there are many ways we fall short in our relationships. We have failed to carry each other's burdens. We harbored offenses and we judged others' motives. Help us to forgive and to seek forgiveness. May your spirit heal wounds and bring unity to fractured relationships that we might love one another 
as you love us. Lord, help us not to just be consumers in the church. Instead, show us how to nurture Christian community. Give us the initiative and the insight to know how to cultivate a greater love for others so that the people we meet are drawing closer to you. We recognize you as the creator and ruler of all things on earth and heaven. Help us to view everything we have as yours and to trust you to care for us. Help us to be good stewards of the resources you entrust to us and live our life for you with a mentality of abundance and not scarcity. Help us to put our faith in Jesus, to trust you more, and to grow in joy. Lord, may your spirit move this morning in each heart that hears the word you have for us today. May we be grateful for all things and for every circumstance, even the difficulties you allow for our spiritual growth. Despite the challenges of life, Lord, help us to walk by faith and trust you even more when it does not seem logical. Bless your church and enlarge its impact. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as we hear God's word from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. You can find this on page 34 of your journal. Hear the word of the Lord. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them underneath their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
Good morning, Familia. It is a blessed day. We've so enjoyed worshiping together, and now it's time for us to open God's Word. For those of you who are new to the church, my name is Brent Sickle. I am one of the pastors here on staff at Wheaton Bible Church. And whether you're here with us in person or worshiping with us online, I want to welcome you again as we look at God's Word. Today we are in week 11 already of our Matthew series. Uh, can we get a good applause for that? Yeah, we are 11 weeks in. I am loving uh, every few weeks we put another colored uh, uh, marker up on the wall and we get to walk through this awesome book. And in these last few weeks, we've been walking through three chapters known as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching us what it means to be people in the world but not of the world. Or to put it a different way, how we as Christians are offered an alternate community. A community of people that even though we live in the world, we live with an alternate worldview under a different set of values. You see, Jesus has been talking about a worldview that's in alignment with King Jesus and his kingdom and values under which everything is done for his glory and our good. As we just read in our passage today, I want us to see how we as disciples are to relate to God and to each other in a way that is controlled by our love for God and our love for each other. So as we look at Matthew chapter 7, I want us to see three, three things. One, we live in a new community with each other. Two, we live in a new community empowered by God. And three, I want us to look at the golden rule of this new community. A new community with each other, a new community empowered by God, and the golden rule of this new community. As I was reading, preparing for this message, I was reading through some of my old commentaries, and one of my favorite ones to pull out is by a guy named H.A. Ironside. Uh, he's an old commentator and pastor, and as I was reading his commentary, he was recounting an incident in the life of a man named Bishop Potter. And this is what he says. He was sailing for Europe on one of the great transatlantic ocean liners. When he went on board, he found that another passenger was to share the cabin with him. After going to see the accommodations, he came up to the purser's desk and inquired if he could leave his gold watch and other valuables in the ship's safe. He explained that ordinarily he never availed himself of this privilege, but he had been to the cabin and he had met the man who was to occupy the room with him. Judging from his appearance, he was afraid that he might not be a very trustworthy person. The purser accepted the responsibility of the valuables and remarked, It's all right, Bishop. I'll be glad to take care of these for you. The other man has been up here and left his valuables for the very same reason. <laughs> Is that what we want to be known for? How we look at others? Today as we look at Matthew chapter 7, I want us to begin with a new community with each other. I want to read these first few verses again from the Amplified Version. 
just you get a, a new take on what these verses are saying. It says this, do not judge and criticize and condemn others unfairly with an attitude of self-righteousness superiority. And though assuming the office of a judge so that you will not be judged unfairly. For just as you hypocritically judge others when you are sinful and unrepentant, so you will be judged. And in accordance with the standard of measure that you use to pass judgment, that judgment will be measured to you. Why do you look at the insignificant speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice and acknowledge the egregious log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me get the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye. You hypocrite. First get the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. As we look at our passage today, the imperative, do not judge, hooks the attention of us as listeners. Why? I think it's because it challenges us in an everyday activity that we all participate in. You see, it's very easy that we begin to judge people by their looks, their clothing, their jobs, their cars, their homes, and a variety of other petty external standards. We like to judge people by their tones and motives and what they say, especially as we live in a culture that texting is our primary source of communication. We judge people on what they believe and value on a variety of topics and issues. And we judge people on their actions. You see, there's something about judging that we really enjoy. Pulling someone else down makes us feel good. Solomon describes it this way in Proverbs. The words of gossip are like a choice morsel. They go down to a man's inmost parts. The fact is, we really enjoy judging others. And judging here is what Jesus, uh, judging which causes Jesus here to describe this symptom is reminding us that there's a bigger issue in the one who is judging. Like last week, as we were looking at uh, what it means to be a disciple, we looked at a disciple whose focus was on material things more importantly than that of spiritual things. This week, we have one who has gone in the opposite extreme and has become overzealous about the religious matters. You see, Jesus is talking to the person who has become judgmental of others without perceiving his own deep faults that need attention to. Why? It may be pride, which delights in putting others down, so that in contrast we, may be, we feel like we're built up. It may be guilt, which often finds satisfaction in condemning others, and what we've refused to condemn in ourselves. You see, the reason is fairly obvious. We understand what we're doing, and subconsciously, or if not consciously, we are despising our own behavior, which we either refuse to see or can't seem to deal with 
ourselves. And so it's very easy. We begin to condemn it in others as a symptom of our own guilt. Jesus here is not teaching us to take a disinterest in each other's sins and failings. But he's telling us that we must take a priority in looking at our own hearts and dealing with the sin in our own lives before attempting to help our brothers and sisters. You see, there's a valid and important role in the relationship we have with brothers and sisters in Christ as part of this new community. There are occasions we are to speak into their life and to call out sin. Jesus says this in Luke 17, if your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Again in Luke 18, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his faults. And Jesus stated earlier in this Sermon in the Mount that if you're offering a gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. You see, his words today are not telling us to avoid confrontation with our church family, with our Christian brothers and sisters over an evident sin in their life. But he's talking with us about how do we handle judging within the community of believers. So the question we have to ask this morning is how is Jesus, Jesus calling us to handle judging as a community of believers a part of this new community together? And I believe he gives us three things when it comes to judging others. Look with me in verse 2. It says this, For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The first thing Jesus is telling us is we need to be mindful of the standard by which we use to judge others. Jesus is just telling us to be fair. Whatever principles or standards you use to apply to one another, make sure that those are the same standards and principles you are applying to your own life. God, throughout his word, tells us that he would judge us by the things that we know. This is the argument that Paul makes in Romans chapter 2. And whenever we judge someone else, it is because we know what is right and what is wrong according to God's word. What Jesus is saying here, though, in verse 2, is that we can expect of others what we should be expecting of ourselves. What we demand of others, we should demand of ourselves. Jesus is making the note here that a hypocritical person struggles with the same problem the Pharisees did in his day. Whatever they knew was right, they applied to others, but they would not apply it to themselves. Jesus makes this statement in Matthew 23. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. Hmm. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. 
This is why Jesus called the Pharisees hypocrites multiple times. You see, we need to be mindful of our standards because in Jesus' day, the Pharisees' standards were different for themselves than it was for everything else. The second thing Jesus tells us to do is pay attention to our own sin. Look with me at verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? As I read this, I I think Jesus is uh, uh, being a little sarcastic here. He's almost saying like, it's unbelievable if we think that we would have the capacity to help someone else take a piece of sawdust out of their eye if we've got a two by four stuck in our own eye. Right? Our, our vision is going to be impaired. If I'm walking around with a two by four sticking out of my eye and trying to play in your eye, uh, would you like a doctor to do that? No. I can imagine myself like hitting people with a two by four as I turn my head, trying to get in there, doing more damage than it already has taken place. Jesus is getting to the heart of the issue in verse 3. He actually is using a form of reverse repetition here to emphasize what he wants us to focus on. Look at it with me. He first says, let me take the speck out of your own eye. When all the time there's a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. He moves from the issue down to what needs to take place first. The crucial phase is first take it out. Jesus is not directing the disciples never to judge others, but is stressing that the first responsibility is to address their own sinfulness. Think about it differently this way with me. Consider how dangerous it would be to attend a marriage conference by yourself. Okay, you go to a marriage conference without your spouse, it changes the way we listen. The talk can lead us to rejoice over our blessings in marriage or to godly self-examination, but sadly can also lead It can lead us to list all the counsel the speaker has had for our spouse. You see, we come home from this by ourselves and we go to our spouse and we say, I want to give you a report on the conference. You should have been there. The speaker was amazing. The speaker suggested three ways that I can be a better husband, but outlined 19 things you should do to be a better wife. And so let me just share with you the top five I have. Right? It it doesn't make sense. I would be sleeping on the couch. The order is to judge ourselves first. Then and only then can we see clearly to help each other. And I said help, not condemn. You see, if we look at what the passage is saying, we remember that the, bl- the brother's sliver or sawdust is just that, 
a minor thing. The real danger that Jesus is talking about is having a judgmental spirit because it strangles our love for each other. It stifles our love for each other in this new community. Poor self-reflection stifles our ability to love our brother. Luke 18 records the prayer of a Pharisee and a tax collector. This is what it says. The religious leader said, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I have. The tax collector at the bottom step, curled up in the corner, prays this way. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You see, to correctly judge one another, we must become like the tax collector. Jesus is saying that a hypocritical person is really good at assessing everyone. Except for one person. Him or herself. If we really want to help one another in this community of believers, we must pay close attention to our own sin. The third thing Jesus reminds us of is to be discerning of our judgment. Look with me at verse 6. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they will trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Jesus is reminding us in this whole interaction with one another that when we seek to help one another, we must exercise care to do what is appreciated and beneficial. We need discernment on how we correctly judge one another, but even more so, we need discernment on how and when we share what God has to say with others. Yes, we've been learning all throughout the Sermon on the Mount that we're called to speak the truth in love. But there are some times when the words of truth, such as what Jesus is teaching here, will not be heard. Proverbs 23, 9 says this, Do not speak to a fool, for he will scorn the wisdom of your words. Similarly, Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew chapter 10 that some towns will neither receive them or listen to their words. Jesus is saying to be careful because it's futile for us to try to correct people who will not receive that correction. But that doesn't mean we stop loving them, praying for them, Asking God to do what only he can do in changing their heart. 
You see, when it comes to the issue of judging as the people of a new community, we do not harass people with the gospel. We invite people with the gospel. Not just by the things we say, but most importantly in how we live in our interactions with one another. As Christians, we adorn the gospel with our words and our actions, especially as we live out how we judge. In Romans chapter 14, Paul writes this. You then, why do you judge your brothers? Or why do you look down on your brothers? For, for we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written... As surely I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. If we believe what Paul says here in Romans, we will turn for our hypocrisy. And that will enable us to build each other up rather than tear them down. This message that Jesus gives is hard. How are we supposed to do it? If we struggle with this on a daily basis, is this something that's so sometimes unconscious in the way we live? How are we supposed to live this way? When we are so usually blind to our own faults and so inclined to hypocrisy, how can we live out what Jesus just said? We won't. We will never be able to overcome this failure by ourselves. Actually, as a matter of fact, nothing in this entire series and sermon on the mount that Jesus gives are we able to achieve rightly or wholly by ourselves. The only way we can live out all that Jesus details in this sermon on the mount is by living as a new community empowered by God. We receive this power as we come to faith in Jesus Christ and we learn to ask God for the right inclinations and the power to pursue him. And that's why we make this transition here in chapter 7 and Jesus once again begins to talk about prayer. We just had a lengthy discussion on prayer in chapter 6. But what he's saying here is that we need God's power to do right in all areas of our life. Whether it's valuing spiritual treasure or trusting God rather than worry for our future or judging each other rightly. These verses are immensely important to understand the power to carry out what he just told us to do. Look with me here at verses, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. The 
There's a TV show that I like to watch. And it's been on, it's, it's an older one, it's been on for a while, uh, but it's called Everybody Hates Chris. And it, it's about this boy, and he's uh, recalling his life growing up in his family. And uh, as he's doing this, he's going about his daily life, and then you have like the voiceover narration of what's in his head or what took place. And Chris Rock is that voice. And he's constantly dealing with the everyday situations of life. And in uh, one of my favorite episodes... The main character, Chris, wants to buy a leather jacket because it looks cool. As he's talking with his best friend about it, his friend suggests to him, well, why don't you just save up your allowance? And Chris asks the question, what is an allowance? I've never had this before. His friend casually says, well, it's money that your parents give you every week. He goes, I heard about allowances, but I didn't know they actually existed. I thought it was just something that happened on TV. And as he's approaching his father, and since his father's always working, he always seemed kind of grumpy. There never seemed to be a good time to ask his father for money. But today, it looked like a good time. And he approaches his father. He asks him, he says, well, I'd love to, to get a leather jacket. I'm hoping you can give me an allowance. And I love his father's response. I'm not giving you money for walking around doing nothing. An allowance? I allow you to sleep here at night. I allow you to eat them potatoes. I allow you to use my lights. I allow you to drink my Kool-Aid. I allow you to nibble on those green beans. I allow you to look at my TV. I allow you to run up my gas bill. I allow you to walk up those stairs. I allow you to ask me these ridiculous questions. Why should I give you an allowance when I already paid for everything you do? Who do you know gets an allowance? That scene is just hysterical to me and, and uh, I love just the response of the father there because it's so different from the response of our Heavenly Father. You see, Jesus promises the empowerment of God to carry out what he's asked us to do. And he promises that empowerment because we have a Father who gives You see, if we are Christ's disciples, having entered into faith in the kingdom of heaven, then we have God as our heavenly father. And God, who is our father, is generous and giving. Jesus outlines here that if a child wants something, all he needs to do is ask his father. The struggle is we know that a child will pattern their request on what their father's temperament is. As we saw from the TV show, the father's ill-tempered and stingy. The child has to ask for little or carefully in well-chosen moments. But if the father is good-natured 
and generous, the child will present his need openly with freedom. It's the same spiritually for us. If God were like the pagans imagined him to be, selfish, vengeful, then the one who prays would be on guard or even try to bribe God with their prayers. But if God is gracious like we know he is and as Jesus has taught us, then we need not be afraid to ask him for whatever we need at any time. And so we can ask for God the empowerment to live out the kingdom of God in our lives. But we must ask. It's an important truth here that God cares for us even if we do not ask. But God desires us to ask. You see, God wants to have a personal relationship with us. And for that to happen, we must communicate with him and with him through prayer. That's why Jesus says we must ask. James says in James chapter 4, you do not have because you do not ask. And Jesus here in verse 7 gives us the positive side of that statement. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. We have a good father who desires us to ask. So keep praying. Jesus reminds us in these verses again that we must pray. Not as a repetitious a practice of rote prayer. But because God never grows weary of our asking, seeking, and knocking. We know that God always hears and always answers. The third point of our message today looking at this new community is the golden rule of the new community. And you've heard this before, verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Finally, we come down to the golden rule. We come down to Jesus' summary of his entire sermon. A summary of the entire law and the prophets. These words bookend this section in Matthew. Matthew 5.17, the law and the prophets. Now here in chapter 7, the law and the prophets. And what's important and unique about this verse, even though it's one of the best known sayings of Christ, is the way that it is expressed. Jesus says it in a positive way. Do to others what you would have them do to you. This is different than what's seen throughout much of other history. This type of saying is said by a variety of people in a variety of religions, but always from the negative stance. The great Rabbi Hillel says it this way, what is hateful to yourself, do to no other. This is the whole law. The rest is commentary. 
other writers, composers of various other religions from Confucius to Epicus to the Stoics to the hymns and faith of Buddhism. All say it in a negative way. Do not do to others what you would want them would you, let me say it again. Do not do to others what you would not want them to do to you. Even though they're similar, Jesus in contrast is turning the saying around. Do as you would want done. You know why? It has always been possible for people to keep the negative version of this rule. It's a sound and necessary legal principle. If we're to get along in society, we must discipline ourselves so as not to injure other people. We must obey the law, stop at stop signs, pay our bills, avoid overt acts of prejudice, and many other lists of things. And we can carry those out. We do it because we must. While hoping we will have enough left over for ourselves. How different though when we look at our obligations positively. It's no longer a legal matter. Doing what needs to be done to get along or stay out of trouble. The golden rule that Jesus sets as the standard here is one that allows us to operate in a new mindset. To fix our attention on the needs, cares, loves, joys, hopes, and dreams of others. Jesus is reminding us that we are a transformed people. He's reminding us that we must turn from the demands of the law entirely and receive a new spiritual life in this new community from God. Jesus teaches us how to live in community together. We live in that community empowered by God. And we live fulfilling this new golden rule. Living in this community begins with a confession of our failure. Followed by faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. But it continues as we learn to put the needs and wants of other people first. In other words, it's only when we've learned to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength that we can begin to love our neighbors as ourselves. This is what it means to live in the kingdom of God as a community of believers. One of the things we do as a community of believers is to celebrate what Christ has done on the cross for us. the new community we are now a part of and in anticipation of Jesus' return. If you're a Christian, this celebration is for you. If you're not a Christian or you're still seeking, I'm going to ask 
that you wait and observe. Look at God's word. Get to know Jesus more. And learn to love Jesus first. As we prepare to partake in communion together, the Bible calls us to examine ourselves. And in light of what God's word has said to us today, I want to take a few seconds in silent reflection. And as you're reflecting, I want you to answer the question, what might be in your life that needs removed? Let's reflect. Dearly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word that helps examine our souls. That moves us beyond our outward actions to reflect on our inner attitudes and hearts. Lord, we thank you that you're a God who is gracious and just and forgives us of all unrighteousness. So, Lord, work in our hearts this morning. Forgive our sin. And help us walk in this newness of life in you. We ask these things in your holy name. Amen. The Lord Jesus, in the night that he was portrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do in remembrance of me. You may partake. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat of the bread or drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
You may partake. Dear Father, we are thankful. We are thankful because of you, you have brought us into a new community of believers. Lord, we are thankful that as you have brought us in this new community to live in this new way in the kingdom of God, that you empower us to live that way through the filling of your Holy Spirit. Lord, may we remember your work on the cross and your work on your life and our lives each day as we seek to follow after you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. This is the last song we're going to sing together. We introduced last week. It's a prayer of asking God to help us to live lives that are dependent on his grace. So let's stand and sing together. i
Amen. Before we go, we'd like you to sit down. We have one more special thing to do as a church family today. We have a special person to recognize because after over 20 years here on staff at this church, C.J. Spensley is retiring from her position as a traditional worship producer, and today is her last Sunday. So we wanted to have her come up. Give her a hand. Yes, so CJ came to Eaton Bible Church in 1973 as a college freshman playing her violin. And she and her husband, Steve, and her have raised her family here. It's great to have you guys all here today to celebrate. And they have been an integral part of the church. And as she likes to say, she came, she played, and she stayed. And we love that. Um, during CJ's 20 years on staff, she has organized and coordinated 20 years worth of services, special events, funerals, and baptisms. And that is no small thing. <laughs> Over these years, she's served as the worship arts coordinator, the church clerk, and now more recently in the last few years, years as the traditional worship producer. You may not realize it, but every traditional service, all the different musicians and the tech people all come in with a packet of music and information that is specifically prepared for each one of them by CJ, and it's all her own little system to make us all be together. And uh, that is a huge gift to all of us, and she's done that every week for over a thousand services. So that is a a huge gift. Um, yes. Yeah. As I've worked uh, in the worship ministries for the last three and a half years, CJ's assisted me in making decisions about everything from music selection to how to make online services uh, appear kind of like you're in the room, which is very hard. I will tell you that. We have uh, learned a lot. And uh, she helps decide how to get 70 people on and off the stage in less than 60 seconds. So that's a big thing as well. Um, her humility, her dedication, her flexibility, and her love for God have been a great example to me and to all of those who have done life alongside her. So would you join me in congratulating CJ, not only on a job well done for over 20 years, but for a season of life well lived in dedication to God and her church family. Amen. Amen. One, two. Check, check. One, two, one, two. There you go. So I'm going to pray for CJ. Uh, amen to everything Katie said, and it's been a joy, uh, a privilege to, to serve alongside with you, CJ, and to, to see the so many ways the Lord uses you uh, to bless this body. So let me pray for you and Steve. Lord, thank you um, for CJ Thank you for so many years of faithful uh, presence, uh, faithful service, uh, and commitment to you, to your word, and to your church, uh, Wheaton Bible Church. Um, thank you, Lord, for all the many, many ways in which you used CJ throughout the years and Steve to bless this body. Uh, we pray over their lives a blessing in your favor. Uh, we pray that this season of their lives would be one uh, full of good fruit, 
for the glory of your name, for transitions, for decisions, for wisdom and discernment, for strength um, as they prepare for, for these, uh, uh, this transition and all the things that they're getting ready. Um, and so we pray for your provision, uh, Lord, and for you to be their portion in this season, um, that they would enjoy you and enjoy it as well. Uh, again, thank you for their faithfulness, and we bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, CJ. Well, church, uh, this is, uh, as we close our service, let me give you, as we usually do every week from the book of Numbers, chapter 6, a benediction and sent you out. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And the church says, amen. You are sent. God bless you.